Hello and welcome in. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy over here with me. What's up, my man? What up, brother? Not much, how you been? You know, listening to records, getting through the sweltering heat of summer, mm. looking forward to some more great uh, album releases and football. But you're probably enjoying the summer. You're more of a regular person. so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to football yet. Taking in every warm day that we have. It's been fucking rainy out here. Dude, it oh, rained like... rain. Those are my days. You, love, you like the rainy day? <laughs> yeah. Like staying inside? Yep. I'll tell you, man, I was camping last week in that rain, and it was not as no, much that, fun to stay inside. Well, yeah. If I were camping, that would be the rare occasion I would not be a fan of rain. No. So, so what are we uh, here for? Oh, music. Yes. Ah, music. Thank God. Yep, we always got that rain or shine. Thank God for music. Yeah, so today on the show we have a new release from Don Richard. Dance record, dance slash R&B. We have a cool country new release record from a Texan country up-and-comer by the name of Vincent Neal Emerson. And uh, then we got our old dogs. You know, we like to go back after a couple new releases. We like to talk about old releases that we still love. We have George Lewis, Jazz Funeral in New Orleans from 1953. It's one of the older ones we've done on the show. And mm-hmm. uh, Pearl Jam 10 from 1991. Wow. You know, we say this every time, but that's a hell of a mix of music yes. here, man. Oh, yeah. A wide, a wide variety. Yeah, I don't know if that's uh, good for our listeners or bad for our <laughs> listeners. I We hope it's good. I mean, we have varied tastes, and we want to try and keep this thing fresh and interesting and have as many people discover things of genres they already like and maybe genres they didn't know they liked. So I, hope the, goal. I hope the recipe is delicious. <laughs> all right, well, let's put all these together and see what we come out with. All right. All right, so first up for new release recommendation, we're talking about Dawn Richard and her sixth studio album entitled Second Line. Uh, so Dawn Richard is an American singer-songwriter slash actress slash model slash dancer slash animator. Kind of interesting. Wow. A lot of slashes. She's slashing it up pretty, pretty heavy there. Yeah, she is from the New Orleans area. And kind of like came into my attention with her debut record back in 2013 entitled Golden Hearts. Why don't we play a cut from the beginning of this record? This is entitled Pussy Femme. All right, let's of Pussifame from uh, Second Line by Don Richard. Are you, were you aware, my friend, what a second line is? No, sir. That term? I, I mean, I could certainly guess based on understanding what the word second and what the word line means, but why don't you fill me in? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like an additional line to the first line that you had. <laughs> I figure if you're asking me, it's probably not as straightforward as I might think. 
right, let me explain for you quickly. Uh, it's a term originated in New Orleans, primarily used to describe the people that would join into a parade. You know, New Orleans is famous for like their marching band parades and funerals, right? Yep. So you have like the main group that goes by, which is usually more structured and kind of all playing the same song. And then in kind of like that prototypical New Orleans spirit, people will just kind of join in at the end of the parade just from the crowd and just kind of do their own type of dancing and play their own type of music, much more freeform, kind of loose. Make sense? So they call yeah, it sure. the yeah. second line. Okay, cool. So this is that's kind of the idea for this record. It's a little bit more loose. It's kind of fits into that, I guess, a lot of that New Orleans tradition in terms of the sound. But it's also much more loose and pulls from lots of different genres here. What about the song? Yeah, also a New Orleans saying. It, I guess it would translate or like originated from the term just bust it for me in terms okay. of like break it down, get dancing type of situation. Yeah, a lot of like house dance music and like footwork from like the Chicago area. If you're familiar with those movements in this music here, I hear a lot in that track especially. We've discussed that before. I believe we have. Yeah. I believe we have. The record itself has a lot of like pretty dancey numbers in the first half, kind of like a futuristic shine to the whole thing. The album art has almost looks like a, you know, an android female on the front of it. I think mm -hmm. that was kind of the vibe she was going for, at least on this first half of the record. Kind of that, uh, juxtaposition of like humanity and this futuristic kind of like, sci-fi thing going on <laughs> the second half of the record it feels a little more organic a little more natural it's a little more slowed down it's got more ballads on there what did you think man had you heard of don richard before and what was your impressions of her if not i'm not sure if i had heard her before honestly i liked it for the most part i mean it's not my cup of tea per se but it also of the genres that it represents, these are genres that, like I don't really care for dance music, electronica. Yeah. And there's enough R&B and other elements mixed in that it actually can keeps it fresh and interesting to listen to. So even though the elements are not all my favorites, they're mixed up enough that it, it that it doesn't over overplay its hand at, at any given time. Reminds me a little bit of what some of what dance music was whatever, you know, quote unquote dance music of the early nineties, like Crystal Waters and some of those other, um, even like it's Hadaway, you know, that style where the dance electronica Hadaway's the what is love guy. Anyway. Uh, okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. But Crystal Waters had 100% pure love. I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but it's dance beats with more mm. singing you know, R&B style R &B, stuff on yeah. top rather than just being some robotic <clears throat> sort of... Sample. Yeah, yeah. sample-laden. Who knows? Not really sure either. She definitely seems to go into this with a concept. I'm not sure it's immediately evident to me after listening to it for a few months. But I like the vibe. A lot of these tracks are super catchy. There's a lot of good hooks, especially on the first half of the record. And there's some really interesting moments in the second half where things slow down. There's a song on here called Perfect Storm, where she's talking about kind of having lost everything from Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, the, there's a line on here where she, she went from homelessness to uh, living this. I mean, she really has come a long way, you know, in that time period in terms of her career and just kind of getting back on her feet 
Um, also some cool little interviews with her mother who moved to New Orleans at a very young age. She's kind of talking about like what it means to be from New Orleans. I think those are kind of touching and kind of gives some, some grounding for like, you know, where the roots of this, this record sounds are coming from. This came out back in, I want to say April of 2021. Definitely has grown on me since then. Uh, I think if you're a fan of that, you know, R&B, slash dance genres this is a pretty enjoyable release in that space agreed (laughs) all right thanks man jumping into a slightly different direction although still in the south this uh, fellow vincent neil emerson is from texas hills originally from east texas and relocated a lot as a kid and is now in fort worth uh let's listen a little bit from his self-titled album and the song is called the ballad of the choctaw apache well i hope that dirty reservoir was worth all of the lives you scarred and the people you left hanging out to dry lord knows if they tried their best to turn the tide but there ain't no sense in waiting round to die. Well, 180,000 acres of ancestral land. That's our main river bottom flooded by the dam. I am a proud Choctaw Apache man. All right, so that was Vincent Neil Emerson from his self-titled album, his second album, and the song was The Ballad of the Choctaw Apache. I've been aware of him for a little while. Andy, do you ever heard of him before? No. I first heard of him. I was watching a YouTube video um, about it was a performance of um, of our friend uh, Coulter Wall. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Vincent Neil Emerson was his opening act, uh-huh. and that kind of got me on him. I listened to his first album. I liked it, but then I heard this one just came out in uh, June, June twenty fifth, and was immediately taken by the the simplicity the poetry the lyrics the picture painting that's being done here not only with his words but with the way that uh, rodney crowell the guy that uh, produced it who's a well-known artist as well a roots kind of artist how the sounds bring these songs to life and they're simple but nothing is wasted mm-hmm. what you what'd you think of this just uh you have any impressions any favorite songs tell me what what does Andy think? I do uh, both of those. Um, I enjoyed the sound a lot. There's some like bluegrass in here that we don't often hear in the country music selections that you come to the table with, which is cool. Definitely some fiddle and some oh, yeah. uh, fast string instruments, which was pretty cool to hear. Um, but yeah, you're right about his poetic uh, lyrics. I think I really add a lot of texture and sort of realism to these songs. I think it's at its best when he has like a real distinct topic to talk about, like mm-hmm. the song he played, the yeah. ballad. And there's another song, um, Learning to Drowned, yes. which is about his, his father's, who I guess killed himself mm-hmm. when he was young. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I thought that song was quite powerful. The rest of the record deals with a lot of similar topics that we'd hear in country music normally. Mm-hmm. Just kind of getting out of your own way type situation, you know? I didn't love those as much, but I could, you could really tell when he was like, focused on the topic and like the poetry comes through and i thought those those moments worked really well yeah those two uh learning to drown ballad of choctaw apache and then also high on getting by all kind of 
caught my ear the most on the first few listens. I got yeah. I got into the other songs subsequently. Uh, Ballad of Choctaw Apache, we should get into a little bit. Well, what's the song? What's the song about? I guess for people who haven't heard the whole thing, it's about he's uh, from lineage of of Choctaw Apache, his from his mother's side. And this is the story about uh, how in the 1960s, uh, the U.S. government forced the Choctaw Apache tribe of Sabine Parish in Louisiana to sell 180,000 acres of their ancestral land to the U.S. government because they wanted to build a dam or a lake. Uh, it's basically a song about human rights and some people's human rights being disrespected and taken away. That being the, uh, the members of the tribe. So lyrically, yes, you can pick up what it's about. It's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. But the use of the Native American flute in there All right. really sold it for me. Like it made it um, where I was picturing this sort of desolate area and people downtrodden and mm. beaten, you know, mm-hmm. destroyed kind of a thing. And I could, it really brought it to life for me. And, and those are those little touches in this album that I think really make it cool. Even um, the, the, the closing track, which is actually fun sounding saddled yeah. up and tamed. Uh, yeah. It feels like a old time country party. I mean, it, you can picture like lantern lights in the barn yeah. and, you know, right. it, a lot of this has a cowboy, feel, a pl- you know, cowboy feel like when the when the West was one sort of a feel to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's done really effectively. He has this almost Willie Nelson type of delivery. Delivery and appeal to him. I mean it's it's a different voice, but there's something uh old and wizened somehow in in it. And his first album is touches on these things, but it is a little more hoedowny to me, and this one is just just right. Right, right. Yeah, he has a very steady delivery in the way that Willie Nelson and Coulter Wall both have kind of that aged but steady kind of like like, a, like you'd want a cowboy to be yeah or, you know like uh seasoned but reliable type of voice it's it works I definitely bought into the package as a whole yes I, um, yeah and the album cover has that look of like those 50s country albums too which which kind of yeah. was part of what drew me to checking it out he's also buddies with charlie crockett so who's in that same sort of vein you know uh i noticed in both of our notes we had a lot of quotes a lot of quoting his lyrics we i don't think we've ever really done that before that tells me something Mm -hmm. about his writing there must be something appealing enough about it that both of us randomly grabbed quotes (laughs) from his songs (laughs) yeah i mean he's at times quite profound in the way he turns a phrase like in that song learn to drown he has that great line well if you can't swim you better learn to drown Mm -hmm. better better be good at something (laughs) even if it's not what you're meant to do i think that's uh that worked really well. Yeah, my my quote from Learning to Drown was, ain't it funny how life will set you free? Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, even, I mean, not in the way you thought it would, but right. you'll get there. <laughs> exactly. It can be through loss, necessarily, you know. Yeah. No, that song was great, man. I would think, you know, obviously it's a tough subject, and I mean, talking about your dad's suicide. And then, and be, then his mom's drinking after, right. you know. I mean, that's obviously a lot of emotion there, but I think he does a good job of getting it out and artistic way yeah 
Yeah, I I mean we could go on we could we have notes for every song, but we're not, we're not going to do that. It's it's a what what was it like forty something minutes probably just a really awesome country album, pure, well written, well played, well sung, completely enjoyable. And if you want to dig in and really listen, there's some some really cool nuggets in there. So I highly recommend checking out Vincent Neil Emerson self titled album. Go get it. Word up. All right. Let's do some old doggies. Old dogs. All right, all right. For my old dog selection this week, we are going way back to 1953, and clarinetist George Lewis put out a record in October entitled Jazz Funeral in New Orleans. This is his roughly seventh studio album, uh, though those numbers are largely up for debate. Joe taught himself clarinet at the age of 18. He was a part of some jazz groups in New Orleans in the 20s and 30s that we always had a day job. He was never really a full-time musician at that period. However, in the 1950s, there was a New Orleans jazz revival, kind of like breathed some new life into the scene. At that point, he kind of became a star of that new wave of New Orleans jazz. Why don't we jump in and play... I cut towards the beginning of the record. This is Burgundy Street Blues. You'll find a small church where one can stop and rest and thank the Lord. Now as you make the rounds up and down, you'll meet girls with charm and grace. And for the time of your life, whatever you do, don't forget Johnny Matassa's place. That's the life you'll find. When you walk down Burgundy Street. Alright, a little taste of Burgundy Street blues from George Lewis and the album Jazz Funeral in New Orleans. Man, it shows what I know. I was about to correct you that it's Burgundy. <laughs> you know, man, I thought it was Burgundy Street too, and I was like, well, why is she saying it like that? But no, that's totally not. <laughs> well, we're not, yeah, we're not locals, so obviously, yeah. you know, things are pronounced differently in areas than you might think based on the regular word burgundy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, a really interesting song, though. I, it's generally just kind of about what it's like to, to grow up in that area. She goes through and lists the street names, kind of like the order you would encounter them if you were walking down the street in, in this area of New Orleans. Really minimal instrumentation, just kind of the uh, the rhythm, and the drums there, and the bass, and, uh, and George's uh, clarinet in the background there, accompanying her sort of like plodding, Yep, precise spoken word passenger. I found that song very haunting and, and really stuck with me a lot. Did you did it say anything to you, man? That song particular, not necessarily. I mean, the whole album had that sort of feel to me, like an inside look at what it's like to be part of that world was sort of, mm-hmm. and, and it's so infused with spirituality mm-hmm. and the time period too. Um, and we're talking about black people in america also in the 1950s yeah so that perspective is certainly um some things have changed some things haven't but you know to you're putting it all in that frame as you're listening to this you start to put the pieces together as to more of a it's like a historical document in some ways yeah the way that george george's clarinet isn't like 
it's you know there's some of it of course but it's not just you know the whole time where it's nothing but a jazz party in new orleans mardi gras woohoo there's right. there's a lot of moments of reflection too and that's cool mm-hmm. yeah there are those like higher energy i would call like dixieland type cuts on here mm-hmm. like the opening cut ice cream is kind of in that vibe and there's one later on called panama which is really smoking in terms of how fast it's moving. In juxtaposition to those faster tracks, there's a collection of much slower songs, which I think work really well, Burgundy Street being one of them. There's also a nice couple of nice spiritual songs, Down by the Riverside and A Closer Walk with Thee, which are more like traditional songs you might expect to hear in a funeral march. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the interesting thing here, kind of like we were talking about earlier, you know, you kind of have those that more traditional part of like a funeral procession in New Orleans. But then you get to like that second line where you might have that more like fun, you know, uh, people who are just kind of more joyous and celebrating the occasion, you know, as well as kind of being sad that someone had passed. And I think you get that nice mix on this record here. There is a fair amount of improvisation, you know, that you'd expect in a jazz record, but they keep things pretty tight and like always, Always moving forward. Um, and the band sounds good here, man, especially the rhythm section. I think they really, really cook, especially on some of these faster numbers. You know, I accidentally listened to a not exactly similar, but album uh, this week. Harry Connick Jr.'s new album came out. It's called Alone With My Faith. And he's from New Orleans, jazz mm-hmm. musician. And yeah. a lot of the same kind of sentiment. Um, and some old gospel, you know, Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art and the old Rugged Cross and stuff make appearances on that. And just like, oh, what's the new Harry Connick Jr. sound like? And I'm like, man, that's kind of got some of the same vibes as George, the George Lewis album I'd been listening to. So Cool, yeah. The legacy lives on. Yes. Yeah, speaking of that, there is a nice version of When the Saints Go Marching In on this record. Very soulful um, vocal on that. Uh, and the band is also kicking some booty on that i think one of my favorite tracks though however is the last track which we're going to play a bit simple from now it's called lou easy and ia I just want to just like, be there for that shit, man. Like, I want the red beans like... and rice, man. <laughs> Dude, hands down, best food in America. New wow. Orleans. Never been no there. Gotta go, man. So good. It's amazing. What do I got Zatarans, dude. You just throw a box of that some, with some boiling water, and then you got Louisiana food. <laughs> don't, don't even, man. Don't even. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um... Yeah, really great. I, the song's been stuck in my head like the last three days. Uh, really, really enjoyed this record as a whole. It's not super lengthy. It's only 35 minutes, but they cover a pretty good breadth of that more like traditional New Orleans jazz style. Lots of different singers though, right? I mean, I heard some stuff here and there where I'm like, is that Louis Armstrong? I'm like, no, that's not Louis Armstrong. I know. I really thought it was him, especially on one of the Saints Go Marching In. I don't yeah, think it is. It's but. not. I, I could, listening to it closely, I, 
recognized it was not his voice, but it had a similar style. Right, right. Yeah, so I'm obviously not an expert in the genre and the time period, but I think this is a pretty good representation of what was going on in that time period from what I can gather. The guy had an interesting career. He really pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and he ended up being like a, a pioneer of the sound and is regarded as such. Um, he ended up becoming a regular at the Preservation Hall, which is a infamous jazz joint in New Orleans. He was there for many years through the 60s. And, uh, you know, nowadays I look back as being kind of a, an important fixture in New Orleans culture. It was um, a lot deeper than I thought it would be in terms of the instrumentation, the different vocalists, all of that kind of thing. I thought it was going to be a little bit more straightforward. Stuff on clarinet. You know, I didn't even know if there'd be vocals. So mm-hmm. uh, it's very um, flavored, much like its area is known for. It feels like it, what someone who's never been to New Orleans, it helps me imagine it. Um, yeah. especially in a in a different time in the, in in history too so it's cool cool yeah a little slice of history there for you so if you'd like to experience life back in the 50s in the deep south you check out george lewis and jazz funeral in, in new orleans and if you'd like to experience life as an angsty 20 <laughs> something in the pacific northwest <laughs> in the 90s then this next one is for you pearl jam 10 let's kick it off with a little bit from the song once. So that was Once, the opening track from Pearl Jam's 10, released in August of 1991. We've talked about Pearl Jam before. Sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty influential band for both of us. Yeah. 1990, formed in Seattle. Uh, soundtrack of my life sort of band for many people. Uh, two of the members, Gossard and Ament, they they were in a band called Brother Love Bone that had just released an album. Their lead singer died of a heroin overdose, and some of the, they had already written music. Some of the music here is from what were going to be Mother Love Bone songs, and uh, I think that that history of it is really interesting to me. That this band dies, a new one comes up out of its ashes, mm-hmm. accidentally becomes huge. I don't think anyone ex- anticipated that in the band. Well, they were kind of riding the right on the cusp of a wave of something that was happening in music. Yeah, I mean, the album came out, I think, before Nevermind. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of languished until it really started picking up steam in 92. Mm. So, yeah, it it was part of something, but I don't think... I mean, they're, they're, this is more classic rock-influenced than a lot of the other grunge stuff, which was more hard rock and punk rock mm-hmm. uh, influenced. And this is much more poetic, a little more Doorsy, Jim Morrison-y. Right. And what I, when I first heard it, including this song once, 
stories and accounts of fictional sometimes and other times based on real news, but I felt like my eyes were being opened. Mm -hmm. Eddie Vedder was reporting to me what's happening out there in the world, you know, and it was coming through him. Right. Yes. That's how I felt too in 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Still? (laughs) Well, I think when I was younger, it felt much more, I don't know. I sucked it up a lot more when I was younger. Now it doesn't feel quite as... The stories feel a little bit pandering, I guess, almost in a way. These are 20-something dudes telling the truth, man. You know, like uh, Jeremy. Anyone ever hear that song? Uh, mm-hmm. Based on a true story read in the newspaper about a kid that committed suicide at school. But it, the pictures were painted in a way where it's like, oh my God, this bad shit is going on. Someone has to speak out about it. And that was kind of the attitude behind it. And uh, some of the some of the poetic elements of that stick out to me, like the words like lemon yellow sun, arms raised in a V, the dead lay in pools of maroon below. I mean, mm-hmm. these were things you could read in the newspaper, but they were said in a way that made them feel more real, more like something had to be done. Yeah. And, and yeah. that was important to me at that age. I think it was important to the band too, like especially with that some of these songs, Jeremy being one of them, they were like so protective of them in terms of playing them or, you know, having the video, I think was a big deal and like yeah. really making sure they were kind of kept sacred and weren't diluted to be more of like a marketing, you know, element for them for themselves and the and the sound that was happening. Uh Jeremy was their last for a long time anyway, their last video production of an actual music video Mm -hmm. the record company wanted to release black as a single they didn't want to because it was too personal to be they didn't want it to be a radio song and then they took uh the record label took the mtv unplugged version of black and they started playing that on mtv as a video and then the, the radio stations played the song anyway so pearl jam always had that the music's more important than money and fame thing they fought Ticketmaster, like all that stuff that you can go, oh, they're real heroes, they're real artists. Right, right. But they they have stayed true to that to this very day. Yeah. Well, you never really get the sense that that's what it's about for them. Though I'm sure they are doing well financially. Oh, but. I'm sure, yes. <laughs> but do you need more? And I think that's kind of the... Yeah, it's kind of the point. I think coming back to this record after so long, I was really taken by some of the more, I guess, experimental tracks on here, mm-hmm. the ones that have a little more space in them than especially those opening cuts we've played there. Like, Release, I think, is probably my favorite song on the record, the last song. Yeah, I always loved that song. It empties you out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a perfect closer, yeah, totally. But there are, I mean, there's, you can't deny, like, how good, especially the guitar, I think, is on this record. Um, There's a couple solos on here, like on Alive in particular. Just killer guitar solo. It still sounds amazing after all these years. From what I read about Alive, they did a demo recording of Alive and then failed to reproduce the magic of it in the studio when they were officially trying to record it. So they ended up using the demo, but then they put in Mike McCready's guitar solo, the one you're talking about at the end. So all these songs were recorded kind of um, ad hoc when... I guess the, the story that I've always heard was, um, you know, they were looking for vocalists. Eddie somehow got in touch with them and was like driving up the coast to meet them in, in Seattle. Um, 
when Eddie yes. met the other members of the band. They just kind of like already had all this material prepared and he'd already written some lyrics. So they kind of were like ready to go and yep. just recorded some of these songs like almost immediately. Which is pretty crazy to think about being such a good match instantaneously like that. The story I always heard was that it was Jack Irons, who's the, the drummer for Red Hot Chili Peppers at the time. Okay. Later a Pearl Jam drummer. And uh, Matt Cameron did the drumming on the demo songs uh, that Stone and Jeff had put together. And uh, Jack Irons was friends with Eddie Vedder in San Diego, and he, he handed them handed him the cassette. The story is Eddie was surfing, listening to these songs, Mm. And writing the lyrics in his head that was for Alive, uh, Once, and Footsteps, which Footsteps not on the album. But that's part of that trio, that Mama-san trio. I know we we talked about Once a little bit, Serial Killer telling the story of what he's done. Yeah. Alive is his origin story. And really then fucked up story. <laughs> and then Footsteps is him on, on Death Row. Yeah. I kind of want to get into Alive right now, but I think we should listen to some more music. All right, we're going to listen to a deeper cut on 10. This one's called Deep. All right, so that was deep. Uh, it's pretty deep, man. <laughs> you could like feel like the sinking, just like chaotic mindset of this character he's talking about. Yeah, just like in the effects and the guitar and his vocal, like it's really effective. I think. Yeah, and, and then that little bridge breakdown where he like brings it all down. It's oh yeah, right. yeah. right. It very captivating. I always dug that song. To me, you know, can't touch the bottom. You're drowning, right? Just like an mm-hmm. ocean or pool or anything else. And drugs sink the needle deep, sink the knife deep, death. Yeah, he's sinking some other things deep in the next verse there, man. Yes. It's, it's, it gets pretty dark. Yeah, um, and I think that is part of what is fascinating about this album is that subsequent albums, things became a little clearer. Lyrics became a little more straightforward, and there was a lot more depth, depravity, storytelling, putting himself, putting themselves in different characters, mindsets, musically and lyrically. Part of why, like, Versus was always my favorite because the heavy songs on it, mm-hmm. but people only really know it for the soft songs on it, you know, Elderly Woman and all that stuff. This one throughout is just more artistic in my estimation, just more album-like. Yeah. Love it. Love it more than than I did at the time, honestly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Is this your, um, would you say this is your second favorite after Versus? It might actually be my favorite now when I look at them more objectively as a grown-up. It's probably in my top five, but I don't think it's definitely not my favorite. Some of these songs sound a little, I don't know, maybe because I've heard them so much. But I do enjoy a lot of the the B-side here. I think it's pretty awesome to this day. If you're a fan of the 90s, if you're a fan of Pearl Jam, if you liked this when you were a youth if you've never heard it from start to finish before, definitely check it out. Oh, and when you start it, the beginning of Once does have this sort of slow building musical interlude. So don't turn it up too loud thinking that something's wrong because it'll get your ears <laughs> blasted out. 
<laughs> Good tip, man. <laughs> Go check out Pearl Jam 10. <laughs> I'll say it again. Pearl Jam 10. <laughs> Woo! All right, all right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Elmer's Podcast. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Hey, what did you think of these records? Maybe you liked one of them. Maybe you hadn't heard of one of them before. Maybe uh, it means something to you today. Shoot us an email, podcast.elmers.com, or leave us a voicemail, 585-210-2454. So, you also should go ahead and subscribe to and download the show. Downloading is key, people. We need those downloads. Uh, all the usual places, your Spotify's, your Apple Podcasts, and if you're doing Apple Podcasts, why don't you go ahead and throw us a review, give us some stars, write up your thoughts. We'd love to see it. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Album Nerds, and we also uh, could use a little support if, you, if you're interested. This show does cost us a little bit of money to produce. So if you want to show some support, you can give us a PayPal donation, albumnerds.com slash support. Word up. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you in two weeks' time with a handful of more album recommendations. Till then, enjoy the music. Thanks for listening. See you.